Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. If you had an opportunity uh, to do so, I sent the source sheet along with Rabbi Klickfeld's video this week with the intention that you would be able to print it out, have it accessible to you, enjoy it together. This is some spicy Torah. Uh, And you'll have to believe me, if you look into it yourself, maybe you'll see and agree that these are not even the spiciest commentaries on this particular part of the Joseph story. If you're not following on the source sheet, but you do have an Eitz Chaim or a Bible in front of you, you can take a look at chapter 39, verse 19. And if you'd like to back up a little bit in the story, too, that's okay. So we were on page 226. I'll give you a little bit of background in the story in case you're not familiar with what happens. Joseph has been sold to the Egyptians, and he has an encounter with the wife of Potiphar, who is the master in charge of him. And... We're going to talk about not the encounter itself, but rather her report of the encounter. And we're going to explore some commentaries that take the time to figure out what's happening for each of the figures in this story, some of whom are protagonists, some of whom are antagonists. We're not going to study this with so much judgment on which is which, but I want to figure out what these commentators are trying to tell us about what's happening for the main three figures in this story. Those are Potiphar's wife, Joseph, and Potiphar himself. So what happens in the story ahead of this is the following. I'm backing up to where we are on page 239, and I'll read for us in the English, and then we'll take a look at at this one particular verse in the Hebrew and the English. After a time, verse 7, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. He said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master gives no thought to anything in this house, and all that he owns he has placed in my hands. He wields no more authority in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except yourself, since you are his wife. How then could I do this most wicked thing and sin before God? And much as she coaxed Joseph day after day, he did not yield to her request to lie beside her, to be with her. One such day he came into the house to do his work. None of the household being there inside, she caught hold of him by his garment and said, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and got away and fled outside. When she saw that he had left it in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to her servants and said to them, Look, he had to bring us a Hebrew to dally with us. This one came to lie with me, but I screamed loud. And when he heard me screaming at the top of my voice, he left his garment with me and got away and fled outside. She kept his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew slave whom you brought into our house came to me, to dally with me. But when I screamed at the top of my voice, he left his garment with me and fled outside. 
So in the Torah itself, the first version of the narrative is told by whom? Who tells the first version of the story? Who's the narrative voice? You can unmute yourself or indicate that you want to be unmuted. The why? She tells the second version. Who's the first narrative voice that we hear telling the story? I think Varied wants to chime in. You're, you're right, Brant, that she tells that this is where we get the second accounting. That's Yosef was the first time. Right, but who's telling the story? Who's the narrator oh. in the Torah? The, the narrator, the objective voice. Great, Larry. There's... Right, exactly. The, the objective voice of the Torah itself, the stum, we might refer to it as, the, the totally objective voice. <laughs> I mean, we're naming it as objective. Like they, I'm sure narr- narrators have objectives, whether you're ascribing divinity to that narrator or humanity to that narrative voice. But the first version of the story is told by the narrator of the story, right? It's just told, starting from that verse 7. After a time, his master's wife, right? They're third person. They're told about. And then... You're absolutely right, Brandt. Then we get a pretty detailed accounting. And how many times does she tell us the story? It's kind of fuzzy here, right? The narrator tells us that she tells the story to her people. And then she tells the story, right? And then we actually get her words and her voice telling the story. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is very common. This is the three-part telling. It goes back to to Abraham's servant. We know is Eliezer. He says what he's going to do, he does it, and then he tells the story of what he's, what he's done. Um, we've even seen it in some Haftorot as well. So it's exactly. It's a common thing. And then they're diff- we look at the differences between the stories. Absolutely. And so we can, we can analyze the differences between the stories. Today, we're not so much going to analyze the differences between these stories, though I want you to enjoy how they are all slightly different from each other, particularly what it, the Stom narrator says happened and then what she does, right? That's obviously the crux of the drama of this story. But yes, it's pretty common, particularly in Bereshit. This is a construct going back to Abraham's servant telling the story of how he's looking for Rivka, right? And then he does find Rivka, and then he tells Rivka's family, and then it gets retold again. So there is this retelling of a retelling that happens in Bereshit frequently, And I want us to take a look at what happens after we actually have Potiphar's wife telling Potiphar the story. So we get to verse 19, which is now on your source sheet, if you're looking at the source sheet. Vayahi chi shemoa adonav. And it was in the moment of hearing, right, that is uh, his his master, et divrei ishto. That is to, uh, as a direct object, the words of his wife. I shared Dibura a love that she had said to him, lay more, saying, right? So the narration is paying very close attention to the fact that we're in a moment where Potiphar is listening to the words of his wife, and, what, and that which she said, saying, okay, ha'ele that's a summarial statement. It's a summary statement. Like such and thus, right? Like, like these things, that is, hadvarim ha'ele, did to me your servant. Same word as slave. Vayicharapo. 
And that's when he was furious. Okay, so the commentators go nuts about this, and there's a whole branch of commentary in Mikra Otzgedolot that goes into some of the very intimate parts of Potiphar's own intimate relations and life. That is not the branch of commentary we're going into, but we are going to get into this Chi Shemoa Adonav, the moment when, he, when she's saying this uh, to... Um, when she's saying this to her husband, to, 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 to his master. Interesting that he's named as his master in that moment. When does she say this to his master? Rashi, our 11th century commentator and body of commentary, says, someone want to read in the English, the Rashi? And it came to pass. Anyone? Go for it, Gary. Yeah. And it came to pass when his Lord heard she said this when he was alone with her, caressing her. This is what she meant by... Um, you can just read the, the English. Things like these. Okay, gotcha. This is what she meant by things like these did thy servant do to me. Caresses such as these. Okay. So in case you're not getting it from the very gentle translation of the commentary and Rashi's being very sensitive here, he's saying... Potiphar's wife waited until the two of them were in the middle of an intimate moment, and she says to him, you know this thing that we're doing right now? This is the stuff that your servant did to me. Okay, so I want to think for a minute about who Rashi wants us to understand better in terms of their emotional reaction, in terms of the actions in the story. I think that it tells us something a little bit about Potiphar and a little something about Potiphar's wife. So first, I I don't want to be too Socratic about this. I'm open to your thoughts individually on this. What do you think this tells us about Potiphar's wife? What does it tell us about his wife? If indeed we read it like Rashi does. Yeah, go for it, Gary. Well, Potiphar's smart, smart wife is not what I call a truthful person. That's a liar. Right. So it, it highlights the fact that she's not a truthful person. And what about her choosing this particular moment? What about her choosing this particular moment makes her an interesting figure? Maybe she wants to make her husband mad. It does seem that... that that Rashi would think that the Vayichara Po is a direct, that, that his getting fired up and angry is directly a consequence of the fact that she chose this moment and she is driving that. I also want to add something just because we're short on time. I would love to draw this out of you as well, but I'm going to throw it out there that I think also that she chose a moment when her husband is vulnerable, right? Possibly naked. Uh, and she's choosing that moment so that his anger is less likely to be directed at her, and he's not going to actually act in that moment. Right? She's choosing this very intimate moment, although that in itself is quite risky. I can't tell if it's a risky move or a self-protective move. I'm very interested by this moment she chose. Marshall, did you have a thought? Well, if we could, be, if we could actually translate what the words mean, that would be helpful. So, sure. At the time that she was having sexual relations with her husband, she said, so, in other words, so that's what she said, that Kadvarim Ha'ela, this guy did the same thing to me. He had sexual, was having sexual relations with me, 
as you are having with me now. Yes. It is, it, it is clear that she wants to provoke in that totally intimate moment, in that complete sexually intimate moment. Okay. So this is very provocative in this moment. I also think this tells us a little bit something about Potiphar because as the commentators are going to point out a little bit more in detail when we move on to Sporno, she tells him the whole story first, but it's not until the moment where she says, or as Rashi would put it, it's not until that moment that he's super angry. It's almost as if she's telling him the story that Yosef was intimate with her, and he's not getting mad enough. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a pretty detailed accounting. The Yichara Po doesn't happen until after he says, she says, perhaps not even in that same moment where she's first telling the story, you know, this is exactly what Joseph did to me, that he gets angry. So it tells us that Potiphar is responding to this provocative moment that his wife brings out and not necessarily simply to her telling the story. I'm going to leave that there for a moment. Okay, commentators have to wonder why that's when the anger gets brought up. I want to move on to Sforno. Otherwise, we'll run out of time. We'll do Mariv at 7. Uh, let's move on to Sforno for a second. Vaichara po. So Sforno really wants to focus on that getting angry and why in that moment, right? It's interesting. Rashi wonders about a when as well. He wonders about the Chishamoa. He really wonders, like, um, the 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 moment when he heard it, it was when he heard the words that, that um, his servant had said. And here we also have a, well, why now, Vayichar Apo? Does someone want to read Sforno's commentary in the English? And his anger, it's not angler, that's very funny. And his anger flared. What a funny typo. Anyone who I haven't heard from, maybe? Just the regular old English, and his anger flared. Sure, I'll read. Great. And his anger flared on account that she complained of his bringing a Hebrew man to play with her. He did not become angry with Joseph because he believed Joseph's account more. However, he put Joseph in prison to show that he believed here out of respect for her. But he continued to use Joseph while in jail, as they said, and the chief servant placed Joseph in charge of them. Okay. So there's a lot in there, and there's a lot in the Hebrew itself. There's a Mitzachek reference as well. That's kind of a, a little bit of a Bereshit reference in there. But even if you just focus on the English, which thank you for reading it, wow. Potiphar is wrestling, not even necessarily Vayichar Apo, because he actually struggles to believe his wife over Joseph and his trustworthiness. He's wrestling with his wife's words, but he believes her enough and respects her enough and perhaps fears her enough that he makes the decision to send Yosef to jail consequently anyway because it needs to look like that. We'll get there in a barbanel, but he's still, it's trying to explain this particular Sporno commentary. He's trying to explain how such an angry Potiphar would still go on to use Yosef as an advisor from prison. That's actually what's bothering him and his question about Potiphar in this moment, right? 
Why is it if he's so angry that he's actually going to go on? Ah, well, he really believed Yosef, but he also believed his wife. And he's wrestling here. Let's go on and read a Barbanel, which is going to speak to these same ideas. Someone else want to read a Barbanel in the English? I'll do it. Great. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, the dogs are going to bother us. Maybe somebody else. All right, well, I'll let Marshall read, and then, and then Billy can read next. Okay, <laughs> go ahead, Marshall. Uh, undoubtedly, when Joseph's master, appreciating that God was ever-present in his mind, did not believe what his wife was saying, for he had done so, he would have put him to death. However, he was still troubled by this episode and accordingly put him in prison. Had he not acted in this way, he would have become a laughingstock, as his wife was already saying as much. By remaining silent, he would have provided her with a pretext for being unfaithful to him. This, then, is what Scripture intends to convey by the phrase, and when his master heard the words of his wife, for he was not unduly affected by the incident itself, since he lent it no credence, nor was he influenced by the robe found in her hand, as he undoubtedly questioned Joseph about it, and was told the truth. The Torah mentions this only briefly, as it is quite clear from the basic drift of the narrative. Hence it does not say, and his fury was aroused against Joseph, but simply, by Yicharapo, his fury was aroused. He was angered by what his wife had said, and his mind preoccupied with what to appease to do to appease her, given that she was insisting on her version of events. Accordingly, he resolved to incarcerate Joseph in the prison house, which was under his control and located within the precincts of his own home, to remain there until his wife's fury had subsided. Thank you, Marshall. I think a Barbanel does a, a wonderful draw, a job of drawing out more specifically the ideas that we can begin to see in Sforno. This is a figure whom these several commentators see in reading this text ultimately as deeply wrestling with what to do from his position of power, from his wife's position of power, from wanting to believe a victim, maybe, and from not wanting to give up their trusting relationship. Abarbanel even ascribes an understanding to Potiphar that I find fascinating, an understanding that Yosef had a relationship with God. Why that would be important to the Egyptian Potiphar, only a Jewish commentator would bring that in, right? But this is so deeply rooted in the same issues that we see playing out in modern power struggles over very similar, difficult, and detailed accounts of sexual assault as played out by power dynamics. How do you listen to an accounting? How do you do an appropriate accounting? A Barbanel wants Potiphar to have done an appropriate accounting and witnessing, of course, Of course he would have questioned Yosef. Of course he understood this. But of course he understood he also needed to be punished. But of course, had he really believed Yosef, he would have put Yosef to death, not used him as an advisor. Gosh, wondering if you can continue to use somebody as a political advisor once they've been accused of misconduct. 
I can't think of anything more 2020, right? These issues and these struggles don't go away. They don't go anywhere. And I believe that our commentators want us to wrestle with what the source of Potiphar's anger is and how he deals with people who are part of his trusted circle, but also with a, with a woman, with his wife, and with another person who was in a serious position of power, right? Namely his, his wife as well. It seems I, like the star here is Potiphar. What's that? The star is Potiphar in the story. Absolutely. Because he's mad at his wife, not mad at Joseph. And clearly he understands his own wife. And he understands the power of Joseph. And he has to play everything so that he looks good. At the same time, he doesn't insult his wife, who obviously he's married to her and she's less than trustworthy. And at the same time, he has to, you know, not get rid of somebody that he uses as an advisor. So he's the star of the whole story. And it would be so easy for us from our both apologetic and sympathetic and understanding contemporary perspective on how badly and how deeply particularly female victims of sexual assault are not believed, are not even listened to necessarily, were it not for the fact, I just want to direct you back to my very first question to you, which is who is the first accounting that we get this from in the Torah? The Torah wants us to start from an understanding that Yosef is indeed innocent. Without that understanding, I wrestle much more with Potiphar, right? And I still do, because Potiphar doesn't have the Stom narrative voice telling him this story. He has his wife telling him, and that's why he's stuck. And that continues to be the reason why people who are in positions of power wrestle when they are the ones who are, in fact, witness to and need to deal with the consequences of what happens next when the accountings are vocal accountings. But I appreciate that the Torah text gives us this Stom narrative because without it, we would have even more and deeper issues to wrestle with in terms of an accounting of power in this story. I would have loved to read this last commentary for you and with you, but I don't want us to run out of time together tonight. I want to summarize it and commend it to you. I hope you read it. First of all, important that a text sheet can, when possible, include female voices. This happens to cite two, both Rabbi Rachel Berenblatt, who's the Velveteen Rabbi, uh, and she also quotes Reb Tirza Firestone here. And I want you to get to take a look at it at some point because finally... We actually get an accounting of what happens to the victim in this story. And who, of course, is the victim? Joseph. Right? He's the intentional victim according to the story of the Torah. That is a whole other and difficult, deeper issue. that We actually know he needs to go through this journey in order for him to fulfill his biblical narrative. And yet, he is the victim in that he's falsely accused in this story, since we have the Stom narrative voice to tell us that. And this particular commentary, which I'd love to invite you to read, and then you can reach out to me and tell me what you think, speaks to the idea that there are echoes of the story of Tamar, that there are echoes of what Begid actually means here versus Ketonet, and how we're to understand that the story is giving us space to think about Yosef's perspective as well here, and the hints about it 
in uh, the very clothing that's left in the hands of Potiphar's wife. So I, I tease you with that and, and recommend that you read it when you have a moment. Thank you for going deep into that really difficult Torah with me. There is no resolution. But I love for us to think about both what the Torah itself and also the commentative, commentary and commentative, I made up a word, voices uh, want us to understand and want us to know about what the actors in this story are doing and thinking and what's motivating their emotional responses. So the Bible as drama, the Bible as a really amazing literary accounting that I still enjoy coming back to every single week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.